0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14, this is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is, Fear God and keep His commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment everything which is hidden whether it is good or evil this is the word of the lord Thanks Thanks be, be, God. God. be seated We finished. muted myself there sorry we finished first samuel and so i'm going to take a few weeks to uh to go topical and we're gonna we're gonna study for a few weeks the fear of the lord the fear of the lord and when i think of the fear of the lord this the whole book of ecclesiastes comes to mind but certainly his conclusion that's fitting if you go through the whole the whole of the book of course you know that that solomon the writer of ecclesiastes is trying to make sense of the world everything under the sun he's trying to he's trying to To understand it. And he gives himself over to this and that. He gives himself over to uh, building. He gives himself over to study. He gives himself over to pleasure. And all of those things at the end of the day are vapor to him. He concludes that there's nothing substantive in any of those things. And yet we come to his conclusion and it's this, fear God. Fear God and keep his commandments. And so the fear of the Lord, of course, we, you know, you, your first thought may be from the book of Proverbs where at the beginning of the book it says what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom or elsewhere it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, beginning of wisdom. It's, um, it's the the fear of the Lord is the is is its source is is in knowledge. Its source is in wisdom that comes from God. John Calvin said, "No man can rightly handle the doctrine of godliness." So no man can rightly handle what it means to be godly unless the fear of God reigns and bears the chief sway in him. Right? Unless there's fear of God, then the pursuit of godliness will will uh, fail. And so Calvin says that uh, fear of God must reign and bear the chief sway. Right? It must be the thing that that makes him go this way or that way. The fear of the Lord. John Bunyan said, let God's distinguishing love to you be a motive to you to fear him greatly. And this is something that when we study the fear of God, we have to think about. It's not in conflict with the love of God. It comes from the love of God. Okay, so he says, let God's distinguishing love, the love by which he chose you, be a motive to you to fear him greatly. He has put his fear in your heart and has not given that blessing to your neighbor. Perhaps not to your husband or to your wife or to your child or to your parents. Oh, what an obligation to fear the Lord. Remember also that this fear of the Lord is his treasure. It's a choice jewel given only to favorites and to those that are greatly beloved. Right? The ones that God loves he gives this this uh fear to them as well um william perkins said this and you have to go to the puritans to if you're studying the fear of the lord because n- no one speaks of it today and and the minute you bring up the fear of the lord everybody revolts and says but that that that's contrary to his love and isn't god a god of love right so the Puritans understood that there was no contradiction there. And so that's why I'm going to be quoting a bunch of Puritans. William Perkins says, The fear of God is that whereby man, acknowledging both God's mercy and justice, does as the greatest evil fear to displease God. Right? So it has to do with our, our actions. right? And, and it's the sense that God as a Father is displeased with our sin. Even after we've been washed in the blood of, of His Son, even especially after we've been washed in the blood of His Son, does our sin offend Him. Right? Those are sins by which His Son suffered and died. And so, so the, the fear of the Lord is, is us acknowledging that, that God is a Father who is displeased with His children's sins. I think, I think back before I was a Christian, I came to faith when I was in college, sophomore year, of my, the summer after my sophomore year of college. And in high school, I was going to church. I was, I was being taken to church by my friends. And I was just disgusted by the triviality of Christianity. I mean, that's why I didn't become a Christian for a while, I think. It was just so trivial. It was happy, clappy. It was, it was just. Uh, I I didn't. Now part of that was was m- my heart being darkened. Okay, part of that was just I didn't understand that joy is profound, right? I was an artist, and so I thought everything had to be depressing and dark, right? And that's that's why I spent the next ten years of my life composing music, um, even after my conversion. Um, but but you know i indeed there there is a there is a triviality to christianity today right there is a happy clappy sort of um superficial uh christianity that we see um dominate the i mean it's the most out in the open right what, are, what is the, P, you know, the PCA is a denomination of 300,000 people. It's not even a blip on the screen, right? Um, Bible-believing denominations are few and far between. And so what we see in the news and what we see highlighted in our culture are, are mega churches where there is a superficiality to the preaching of the word. There's a superficiality to the worship. There's um, very little fear of the Lord, right? There's, there's a, a light treatment of holy things. And this odd sense of a God who hates sin and who transcends all of our activities and whose ways are not our ways just doesn't, doesn't seem to be a, a factor in the church today. And so, you know, back to my testimony that the, um, you know, there was just a lot of superficiality. Um, my heart was darkened and, and, um, and yet, uh, you know, I was, I was not being pushed. I was not being taught to fear God. I was not being uh, confronted. I was not being exhorted to, um, to fear God at all. And there just didn't seem to be any fear of God before anybody's eyes. And, And for me, everybody was just trying then to sell me. Everybody was just trying to sell me a talisman, sell me a little Jesus. Add a little Jesus to your life. Right? Which is very different than coming to a fear of God. Right? And so, um, you know, I began reading scripture, and, and it became even more frustrating to me because you read through the prophets and you read through. Um, the words of Jesus, and, and they're intense. And then I'd receive preaching that told me about the pastor's puppy and, you know, him playing football in high school. It was just really frustrating to me. And, uh, and, then, and then I started, unbelievably, and I don't know how, I started reading the Puritans, and I said, wow, there really were people who feared God. There was a time period when people in the church feared God, and they and and what I loved about the, reading the Puritans is that they caused um, that they they, they they were doctors of the soul right they they caused self examination to the minutest just down to the very um, center of the being, and so. Uh, I began reading the Puritans, I I think, as soon as I was converted or even maybe shortly before I was converted. Where I found them, I don't know. I don't remember. It's all a cloud to me. But there I was reading this. And all it made me do is get frustrated with the church. And then I found that there were Bible-believing churches. There were people who feared God. And it was so refreshing. It was so... It was so exciting to me at that point to be in the midst of a a body of believers that feared God. Because God is worthy of fear. And it wasn't simply just about this love, this romantic relationship with Jesus. It was about rescue from my sins before a God that is just and filled with wrath. And gracious. And gracious beyond what we can can contemplate, what we can really wrap our minds around. And so, the fear of the Lord is important to us today because we live in a culture that has no respect for authority, has no fear of authority. It used to be that we feared, um, we feared the, the, you know, we feared police. Now we mock them, Right? We mock them and despise them. It used to be that we feared our parents, and now um, you know we we forget about the uh, the Israelite rule that if if you disrespect your parents, you're you're worthy of of death, right? And so, we, but you know, we've we've lost fear of parents, but certainly we've lost the the fear of the Lord. The book of Ecclesiastes is. I believe they are Solomon's deathbed confession. He's, he's running back over the course of his life, and he's, he's seeing that everything, has, everything that he thought was profound and worth pursuing outside of God has been vanity and vapor and meaninglessness. <laughs> Right, and so he's he's lived the high life. He's pursued pleasure and women and wine and knowledge. Every, anything his heart desired, he let his heart go after that. I don't recommend doing that. Okay, that is that's not what anybody should do. That's that that is what that is what the unbeliever strives for, and all along denies that there is a God that's worth pursuing. Right, we don't allow our hearts to pursue everything, but here is. Solomon, this wise man who was given knowledge by Solomon and who who is given knowledge by God and who lives his whole life. And at the end of his life, it seems that his heart is going after all the gods of of his wives, his thousand wives and concubines. And then I think Ecclesiastes comes after that. He's dying. And he said, this has been godless waste. And he says, what, what I should have thought all of my life is one simple thing. Fear God. Fear God and keep His commandments. <clears throat> the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. Right? No one is exempt. Why? Why is no one exempt? Because there's a day coming when you will all stand before God and will give an account for every one of your deeds. For God will bring every act to judgment. All those things that you, you have never even told your spouse about will be revealed before God. He knows of them now and will be judged. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. And praise God that if you believe in Jesus Christ, even though those things are revealed, you'll be clothed in His righteousness. So what does it mean to fear God? What does it mean to fear God, and should the Christian, the one who has peace with God through the blood of Christ, continue to fear God? That's really the question I want to I ask as we look at the fear of God for a number of weeks. Should the Christian, the one who has peace with God through the blood of Christ, continue to fear God? Should? I'll, I'll open the floor. <laughs> yeah, this is the easy one. <laughs> right, just say yes. Why though? Why? Let's let's just go over some verses here. Matthew ten. Matthew ten is if I think of Ecclesiastes first and then Proverbs second, I think of Matthew ten, third in the fear of the Lord. Okay. This this um this is Jesus. And if you if you look at the first verse of chapter 10 of Matthew, it says Jesus, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first Simon, who is Peter. Andrew, his brother. James, the son of... Hey, can any of the kids name the 12 apostles really quick? Can any of the children name the 12 apostles? Can any of the adults, without looking at your Bible. Name the 12 apostles. You can, Jamie. Do it. Sing it. James, the son of Alpheus. Matthew used to make us nervous, That is our you're the Son of James, you might have other names <laughs> Prayer of the Lord, these are the twelve apostles <laughs> okay, good, good. there they are the twelve the twelve apostles um, hopefully somebody can say that without singing. It just takes so long <laughs> to sing it <clears throat> but um so jesus is is specifically talking to the twelve apostles in this passage right he's he's named i mean they're named in this passage he's he's sending them out to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, to cast out demons freely you have received freely give and and then he gives them these these words um, like sixteen behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. Brother will betray brother to death, father is child, all these things. And then... Skipping down to 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the house tops, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Okay, so there we learn more about the fear of the Lord. What is the contrast that's made here in this section? Who are we to fear? Who are we not to fear? We're to fear God. We're not to fear God. Man, And we're not even to fear what kind of men? Evil men, men who are engaged in trying to silence your mouth, men who are engaged in trying to stop the gospel. You're not to fear those men, but you are to fear God. And then a reason is given for why we are to fear God, why those apostles were to fear God. Why? What is the reason that they're given? Right. A man can just kill the body. But he can't, he can't determine the destination of the soul. God can kill both body and soul. Right? And, and it says, how is it put? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will reveal nothing. Uh, wait, where is it? Uh, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. God is able to, to um, determine where that soul goes. And so there's a fear that is right, the fear of the Lord, and all other fears outside that one fear are wrong fears. Right? They, are, they, are, they are fears that arise because of a lack of faith, or they're fears that arise because of unbelief. Whereas the one fear that arises and is good that arises by faith is the fear of God. Right? So fears outside of that one fear are matters for repentance. Jesus wants us to be free from the wrong fears and bound to the right fear. And so Jesus is telling the apostles here, those who are following him, those who we presume uh, believe and are Converted, they're they're, though lacking in understanding at this point, without uh, the Holy Spirit having been breathed into them. Jesus is telling the apostles to fear God and not fear man, who can only kill the body. Uh, another way to say this is to embrace the paradox that Jesus was talking about: fearing God is the only way to live a life without fear. Right, fearing God is the only right fear and it's the only way if we have that fear right to live without the thousand other fears that we we live with in our lives it's the only proper and godly fear ryle said i fear god and therefore there is none else that i need fear if fearing god is the one thing we have i mean a true healthy deep abiding fear of god everything else all the other fears, all the other things are, are just fears of things that might afflict our bodies but can't touch our souls. But a fear of God is one where you acknowledge, okay, God has, God has more, more of an eternal determination for everything that belongs to me and everything that, that constitutes me. There are other reasons for the fear of God than freedom from the anxiety in this life, though. But again, I don't, I don't want to get, a, get ahead of myself. Let's go through a number of, of verses that point to the rightness or the fitness of fearing God. Um, we'll start here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. Um, that's a, Proverbs 1.7 and Proverbs 9.10. So there's something fundamental, something starts with the fear of the Lord, and that is wisdom. The man who does not fear the Lord lacks wisdom. Okay, knowledge lacks understanding that's proper. Any wisdom that does not have its start in the fear of God is foundationless fear. Right? It's foundationless fear. Job one eight. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. Now notice those two things that are connected together fearing God and turning away from evil that's the that's the flip side of a coin right those are the two sides of a coin fearing God leads to the turning away of evil at least it does with with Job here and so we remember that Job was a man who feared God and he's described as a fearer of God and so um, consider that that's said at the outset of the book that he's a fear of God and so we see that even through affliction and even through agonizing prayer, that he, um, he bows the knee to God in fear. Ecclesi- even, and yet, even though his affliction makes him seem to be arrogant toward the Lord, right? A lot of his prayers seem to be arrogant and fearless. And yet, we learn also that he didn't sin with his mouth in that book. So contemplate those things ecclesiastes eight twelve although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still, I know that it will be well for those who fear God who fear him openly right the the wicked the sinner just goes in uh, goes into sin a hundred times, just doesn 't even think about it, goes to it, and that 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 activity may even lengthen his life, he says, but but I still know that it will be well for those who fear God who fear Him openly. Proverbs 16:6: 6, "By loving-kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil." There's that connection again. By the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. Notice the combination. Don't forget that. Joshua 24:14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity. Joshua twenty four fourteen, Isaiah eleven two and 3. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. It's speaking of Jesus. This is a prophecy of Jesus. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Okay, if Jesus did it, it has to be good. The spirit of the fear of the Lord was upon Jesus. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. Jesus was how can we how can we express this rightly without accusing Jesus of sin? Um Jesus we can put it this way Jesus didn't want to displease his father. Jesus was fearful of disobeying his father. Psalm 130 verse 4, But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Now that's one to contemplate. There's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Right? God has given us grace, therefore he is to be feared. Right? Because with the greatness of the gift comes an obligation to serve the one who gave you that gift. Right, so it's not that forgiveness of sins becomes a reason not to fear the Lord. It's the very opposite. The forgiveness of sins and the greatness of the gift of Jesus Christ leads us to to tremble before Him, right? To uh, to to um, fearfully respect and reverence Him because of what He has done on our behalf, undeserved on our part, pure grace. Psalm 19.9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It endures forever. It's clean. It's good. It's, it's uh, pure. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Proverbs 14.26, and the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. Proverbs 15.16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasures in turmoil with it. Better is just having, you know, one, one saltine cracker but the fear of the Lord than to have innumerable feasts laid out before you. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied and touched by evil. That's Proverbs 19.23. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied. Think of that. you have restful sleep all the time? Do you have restful sleep all the time? And I'm not talking about having kids. I'm talking about your conscience. Right? Does your conscience allow you at times not to sleep? Mine does. Mine keeps me up at night when I consider all the selfishness and all the wickedness, all the thoughts that have gone through my head, all the actions that haven't gone. But if I had feared the Lord, then I would have turned from evil, and then my sleep would have been satisfying. Proverbs 22.4, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. So the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life right we that that could be eschatological language there right it may it may not lead to riches here in this life but certainly it will when we find out that we have stored treasures in heaven proverbs 23:17 do not let your and i love this verse do not let your heart envy sinners but live in the fear of the lord always do you envy sinners do you envy the freedom freedom that they supposedly have. Right? Do you wish your conscience didn't bother you? And you could just go into sin with a seared conscience. And just not have to think about these things. Well, um, that will be a disaster as you go from sin to sin. And God place, God gives you over to that sin. And then there's no, no point where you can come to repentance with a seared conscience. And so do not let your heart envy sinners. They have the wrath of God abiding on them. Right? They have the wrath of God abiding on them. And when they stand before God, they will not be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Lest we think this is only an Old Testament concept, here are some passages from the New Testament. Luke one fifty, And His mercy is unto generation after generation toward those who fear Him. Second Corinthians 5.11 Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. 2 Corinthians seven one. Therefore, having these promises, and he's just laid out before that passage, all the glories of what we have by the grace of God. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And so holiness and the pursuit of holiness and the fear of god again are those those twin concepts those things that go together Um, acts 9 31 so the church throughout all judea and galilee and samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the lord and in the comfort of the holy spirit what a wonderful combination there right fear of the lord comfort of the holy spirit fear and comfort not contradictory; those are things that exist together in the Christian. First Peter two eleven: honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, conversely, how does Scripture describe the unbeliever? Those are all verses that describe God's people and, and the converted. How does God? Des- how does Scripture describe the unbeliever? It despises God, right? Foolish? Haughty. Haughty means a lack of fear. And a lot of those passages had to do with humility. And fear of the Lord comes with humility. But pride is the opposite of that. There's no fear of God for the proud man, right? He just goes about in his own strength and in his own opinion. Um, We all know that, that sense, right? Our pride. Come on, keep going. The unbeliever, I think, in the most profound section of Scripture that's describing this is Romans 3. Right, There is no fear of God before their eyes. The unbeliever does not fear God. The unbeliever is not even capable of the fear of the Lord. So when people tell me that Christians shouldn't fear the Lord, basically what they're saying is no one should ever fear the Lord. It's only Christians who can fear the Lord because they know who he is and because they understand what they've been given by grace and God, and then they come to fear him. But the unbeliever, there's no fear of God. He doesn't stop and contemplate his actions because he believes there's a God looking down upon him. No, he's he's suppressed all of that truth. He's shut that, that faculty down, and he he's... He, he just goes about his life without contemplating once whether, whether God would have him do or not do this, and so he lives his standard not according to the, He lives his life according to the standard not of the fear of the Lord, but just what pleases himself. There is no fear of God. Now, if we and so just contemplate that fact contemplate the fact that there is no fear of God for unbelievers, and Christians are the only ones who can fear the Lord. So when, when, when false prophets tell you that you shouldn't fear the Lord, that, the, that God is a God of love, and therefore it casts out all fear, and we'll get to that verse, what they're essentially saying is neither believer or unbeliever should ever fear the Lord. God is not to be respected in that sense. Now here's, here's some other categories of people that I think do not fear the Lord and, and, uh, from Scripture or defined from Scripture and, and categorized according to our own words. But antinomians and legalists do not fear God. Antinomians and legalists don't fear God. And um, antinomians, you know what an antinomian is? An antinomian is the, the, the so-called Christian who says that we don't have to obey anything that God says in His Word. That the law has... Has no longer effect. We live under grace, and so we sin that grace may abound. That's what antinomians believe, um, and I say they don't fear God. Cheap gracers think lightly of sin. I mean, if you think lightly of sin, then you have no fear of God. If you think that you know it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what we do, God has been gracious to us, and so so we can go on blithely sinning. It's, <laughs> Thinking lightly of sin then changes the way you view God, doesn't it? If you think lightly of sin, it changes what you think of God. The Old Testament becomes, think of this, the Old Testament becomes a record of God's overreaction to sin. Look at the mean Old Testament God that took out whole cities, right? That had fire come down and had the ground to open up. Right, to swallow sinners. Right? That so so to antinomians, the old testament becomes this record of God's overreaction. Even the Ten Commandments are like, Man, such such burdens placed upon man. And then any calls to obedience are determined by the antinomian to be legalism, to obey from from some fear of the Lord is always seen as slavish and not loving. Right? Love must be the motive, and never fear. Never fear in honor and respect of God, but simply love and positive emotion. Legalists do not fear God either. Legalists believe that God's standard for, and legalists are those who, who by their works are trying to gain favor with God. Okay, I mean that's that's I think the most concise way I can put it. Legalists does works in order to gain favor with God. Legalists believe that God's standard for righteousness comes down to self-determined, easy-to-keep laws. That's what the legalists do. Pharisees tithe mint, dill, and cumin. Modern fundamentalists don't listen to drums. At least, they don't in worship. Worship. Right? They have no fear of God because they can easily obey what they have determined are the most important rules. But those rules have been self-determined and not determined by the righteous law of God. They can keep themselves from, you know, the, the modern legalists can keep themselves, and I, I'm sorry for all of those, but this is the example I have to use today, and it has to do with food. Because there are a lot of food legalists today, right? They can keep themselves from gluten and hate their families. There is gluten. I just hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying, okay? You know, you can, you can be zealous about your pursuit of food righteousness and hate your family. But if they feared the Lord, they would not neglect the weightier matters of the law, Right? You would, do, you would do what you need for your body, but it wouldn't become a matter of righteousness. And then you would search God's word to know what true righteousness is and how you have to love your neighbor. Right? Now, I'll stop. I'll stop there. And what I want to do next time is come to that passage in 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love. And deal with that and see, see if that passage, First John four eighteen, eradicates all those verses that we just went through about the fear of the Lord. Right? If there's some, some uh, ceremonial aspect to all those other verses that I, I mentioned. And, um, and what it, I'll read the rest of the verse. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. And we'll, we'll think through that and, and we'll relate it to um, what we've been talking about. But let me, a few other, other quotes from, <clears throat> from Puritans. Richard Sibbs says this, First, we must consider God's love to us. It is the first and main thing in reverence. This will breed fearfulness in us. For the, one, for the more assured we are, the more fearful we, be, we will be of offending. The more assured we are of God's love, the more assured we are of his greatness and his grace, the more we'll be fearful of offending. Right? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? That's the thing I think we need to get into our heads. Henry Array said this, This fear is never severed from love, but the more we love, the more we fear to displease him whom we love, and the more we fear to displease him um, and, and the more we fear to displease him whom we love, the more we love him. The more, so it's like this, this, this feedback circle, right? Let me say that again. The more we fear to displease him whom we love. Uh, sorry, I skipped, uh, skipped this. I want to say this right once, but I'm just screwing up every time. This fear is never severed from love, but the more we love, the more we love God, the more we fear to displease him whom we love, and the more we fear to displease him whom we love, the more we love him, right? If, we, if we're fearing to displease him, then we're walking in holiness. And that means we're, we're, we're growing closer and ever closer to God and we love him more. And so these, this knowing the love and knowing the fear of the Lord, these two things embrace in the Christian. And they're not contradictory. They completely fit together in something that we need to think about now I've been only talking about the fear of the Lord as a concept, but when you when you know what I what I would hope that you would do is ask yourself, what is it, you know, what is it? I don't want you to think of the fear of God as a concept. The reason we fear God is because God is fearful. God is awesome. God is awful, right? In the old use of the term, God is awesome. And so it, it's not, I don't want you to think of the, the fear of the Lord as a concept, but rather the greatness of God's character demands this of us. So contemplate the greatness and the glory of God. His absolute purity. His utter hatred of sin. The the, the amazing graciousness of God. The fact that the wrath of God was poured out upon the Son. Wrath. Unmitigated wrath. That 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 Jesus you know, treads the fierce winepress of the wrath of God and what that means and that all will come before Him in judgment. And so we, we end as we began with that, that statement of, of Solomon. You know, when, when all has been assessed, it, here's what matters, the fear of God and the keeping of His commandments. By faith in His Son knowledgeable of His love for us. Right? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for showing us Yourself through Jesus by the Spirit. And we do bow and quiet our minds before You in in the contemplation of Your awesome glory. Father, it is... You are the one who, by words, created all things. And for us, then, to be so nonchalant in our approach to you is is simply wrong. Father, it has taken the blood of your eternal Son for us to be able to approach you. And you are and always will be a consuming fire. And so we fear you, Father. Father. I pray that in the knowledge of our forgiveness and the knowledge of the greatness of the love that we've been given through Jesus, that our fear for you would grow as we contemplate your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.